This message by Zach Varnell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Zach serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. But today we're looking at the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. This is God's Word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. A, uh, a fresh perspective can be so he helpful, <clears throat> can't it? Just like Bria was sharing uh, on her trip, the Lord gave Bria a fresh perspective when she saw his work in the world, even in, among her own life. A fresh perspective can be so helpful for us. On our first anniversary, my wife Sarah and I got to go to Mexico to celebrate. And I'm the kind of guy who battles the temptation on a trip like this, a big vacation like this. I'm, I'm typically anxious. I'm anxious that we make the most of the time, that we not waste a single moment, that we get our money's worth. It was, a, it was an all-inclusive resort. Everything was done for us, and yet I was restless thinking I might not take enough advantage of it. More, more than once that week, Sarah had come to me and asked me to please stop worrying and just enjoy the trip. It was really wonderful advice that I had a hard time receiving. Well, during that trip, we had the opportunity to do something that uh, I had always wanted to do, go and see some Mayan ruins. They were very close by. And so the day arrived for us to go to these ruins, and, and we get on the bus, and the first thing that happens is someone offered Sarah a ham sandwich. Now, like I said, I was taking advantage of the buffet, so I was not hungry. Sarah ate the ham sandwich, and she got sick. And the closer we got to the ruins, the sicker she became. By the time we arrived to the welcome center of this place, she was in bad shape. So instead of going to the ruins, we went straight to the nurse's station. And the worse she got, the more committed I was, obviously, to stay with her and help her and take care of her. But those ruins were only 200 yards away. <laughs> and so finally, she convinced me to go. She said, look, I'm fine enough. Just run out there, see him real quick, and come back. I'll be fine. So I did, literally. I ran. And just like in the movies, as soon as I got to the gate, it closed. And I never got to see the ruins. On the bus trip back, Sarah continued to be in pain. 
she was sick. And you know what? The Lord gave me some fresh perspective. Though that, that moment, my, my priorities, <laughs> they changed. I had been restless and anxious and worried about the wrong things all week long. What was the point of the trip? It was not to see Mayan ruins. The point of our whole trip was to be with my wife and to enjoy Sarah. It didn't matter what we did, just that we enjoyed one another. So the next day, in light of God's work in my heart, the next day was the best day of vacation for me. Not for Sarah. She was still sick. We were stuck <laughs> in our room together. But for me, I was just so grateful to get to be with my wife. Sadly, often the Lord's sanctifying work in my life comes at Sarah's expense. But I was grateful for a fresh perspective. Well, the point is this. The Sabbath command. This call for Israel to set aside one day a week and remember Him and worship Him. It's a command that the Lord gives that His people might regularly experience this fresh perspective. A day to stop. A day to rest. A day to remember. But in order to do that, His people had to trust Him. They had to submit to Him. In fact, they had to trust Him enough to submit to Him. That's what He wants that's what he calls his people to, and in the end, that is what is best for us. I think the main point of this command to us today is this. Trust the Lord enough to gladly submit your life to him. I think that's his calling to us. God is in charge of all things, all of our lives and he gave this command to his people so that they would remember that truth. Now, there's no question throughout church, church history, there's been plenty of disagreement, controversy over this command, how to apply it today. There have been questions like, do Christians still keep the Sabbath or not? If we do, what things are we allowed to do? What things are we not allowed to do on the day? In fact, what day should the Sabbath be on? I don't know if you've seen this billboard on Interstate 40 out east, but there's a billboard a picture of... Uh, you know, white Jesus with long hair, and he's pointing back to the Ten Commandment tablets, the two tablets behind him. And the sign says, uh, keep the Sabbath day holy. Or what does it say? It says, remember the Sabbath day. And then in huge letters underneath, Saturday to keep it holy. And that's it. That's the whole <laughs> message. There have been many questions and passionate disagreements about this, but when we think about it, I'm convinced when we think about it and study it, when we see the heart of God behind this word, when we see what the Lord not only had in store for his people in the original context, but for us today in Christ, there's something remarkable for us to benefit from. That we learn something about his heart for us, a fresh perspective every week that will encourage our hearts to trust the Lord enough to submit to Him all of our lives. May He do that today. So first what we're going to do is we're going to look at this command, what, what might it have meant to the people of Israel? 
And then we're going to look at how did Christ come and transform it. And then we're going to end thinking about how we might apply it today. So point one, this command was a pattern for Israel. Remember the context. Israel had just been rescued out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God. It was an incredible display of power and authority over all things. They had been slaves in Egypt. Their lives had been difficult, harsh rulership. But God freed them. God had freed them and brought them out to himself. And then he instructed them with these words, with this law. And when they heard and received God's instruction, it was not like a going back into slavery. It was not a reversion back to slavery. This would have been liberating. This would have been life-giving. How now ought we live with this newfound freedom? That's what the Lord's providing. You see, the Lord's not like Pharaoh. He's not a harsh ruler. The Lord points them to blessing, to joy. So he commands them to work and to rest. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. It's the only command of the 10 that begins with remember. Remember, it points back to something that they already know. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. That's what he's calling them to remember. Creation. The Lord your God is the creator of all things. It's a day to remember that. And it's a day to follow in his pattern, his example. Sabbath means ceasing. It's a ceasing from labor. When God created the world, he took the seventh day to be a day of rest. Not that he stopped upholding the universe by the word of his power or governing all things according to his counsel, but he finished his work and he stopped and he enjoyed it. Exodus 31 verse 17 says he was refreshed in his completed work. What was God doing? Well, he was establishing a rhythm for mankind, this rhythm of work and rest. See, we are made in the image of God. We bear his image, and part of bearing his image is following his good pattern for life. This is what's good for us. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Work is a blessing. Work is a gift. Even before the fall, Adam was commissioned to work. Work is a good thing that the Lord has given us. But we also need rest. And notice the kindness of God to command that we rest. It's remarkable. And a number of commentators that I read said, perhaps God commanded that we rest because we, he knew we never would unless he did. In our own self-sufficiency, in our own pride. So God commands we rest. It's his good design. In fact, it's a liberating schedule. 
People had just been slaves in Egypt. They didn't have an off day. Their work was hard and unrelenting. But now their Lord, the Lord their God, their Savior commands them, enjoy a full day of rest. What kindness. But notice something else. It's not simply physical rest, though that is part of it. It's a ceasing from work. But it's a ceasing from work in order to rest a certain kind of way. Remember the Sabbath day, verse 8 says, to keep it holy. To keep this day holy was to set it apart from all the other days. This day is different. This day is marked by something. This day has a certain character, namely to worship the Lord. Leviticus 33 calls the seventh day, it's a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. I mean, a a gathering around the Word of God, a gathering to worship God. It wasn't meant just to be a day to just stop, just stop doing things. That's That's not all it was. It was about worship, which is why this day was so wonderful. Such a gift. Later in Exodus 31, the Lord says that in keeping this Sabbath rest and in obeying God's command and keeping this Sabbath rest and taking a day to cease from work, to worship the living God, he says this, it's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It's a sign that God is committed to his people and they're good. And it's a sign that they are committed to him. Where the other nations, they, they set up, they set apart temples for their gods. They, sought, they set apart memorials and buildings for their God. God tells his people, you set apart a day, a day for me. And it's for your good. Which is why the consequences of breaking this command were so severe. In Numbers 15, there's this story of a man who is gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And he's doing it in front of the whole congregation of Israel. And so they bring this man before the Lord to inquire as to what to do with him. And the Lord tells the people to stone him to death. It was severe. But the problem wasn't the sticks. The issue was not the sticks. The issue was that if if someone forsakes God's good design, if someone breaks the Sabbath, they are breaking what God has said is good. They They are forsaking God's covenantal sign, disdaining God, rejecting Him from being Lord and worthy of trusting in and submitting to. See, the the command is all about faith. Obeying this command is all about faith. it's, It's an expression of trust in the Lord. Do you trust him enough to follow his good design? He's worthy of trust. Will you believe it? Remember, this was an agrarian society. So to take a day off from, from gathering or from harvesting, from working, it was costly. They had to ask themselves, will I submit to him? Will I trust the Lord enough to do this? The point of this command, God owns all of our time. 
He, he's making a claim over what is most precious to us. Bill Gates was once asked the question, why do you not believe in God? And his answer was just in terms of allocation of time resources. Religion's just not very efficient. He said, there, there's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. Time is our most precious resource. We don't get any of it back. But you know what the Lord says? He owns it all. He lays claim to it all. So for Israel to obey, it wasn't just practical, like, oh good, I need a day of rest. No, it was theological. God is worthy of my rest and my trusting in Him. And the ESV Study Bible notes, says every aspect of Israel's life is to reflect that the people belong to the Lord and are sustained by His hand. And notice something else. This is for all people to enjoy. It's really amazing when you look at verse 10. It makes it very clear. It's not just for those who are in, uh, in authority. It's for everyone. You, your children, your servants, sojourners among you, your livestock. God wants all his creatures to enjoy relief from their labors. What does that say about him? The call of this command is to remember, to remember who he is. It's, it's a call to a fresh perspective. He is the God who created all things. In Deuteronomy 5, when Moses reviews the Ten Commandments, he says, remembering the Sabbath is remembering the Lord rescued you out of Egypt. Remember his rescue, his ransoming. But it doesn't just look back. The Sabbath also looks forward because in the Sabbath, in this command, he is establishing a trajectory for all of his redemptive purposes. It's what we sang about this morning. All of this is heading somewhere. That rest that God entered at the end of his creating work, that rest he entered in Genesis 2, it's a rest to which all of God's purposes and works are heading. A final rest with Him forever. That's what the Sabbath pointed to. It pointed forward. It pointed both to the rest God was promising to give them in the promised land that they were about to enter, but even beyond that, the one-day fulfillment of all God's people finally being with Him forever. You see how this could be a life-altering command, I mean an all-compassing command. For us today, when we think about this, we have, we have the same question to answer as the Israelites. Will I submit my most precious commodity to the Lord? Will I trust the Lord enough to submit all of my time to what he says is good. Kevin DeYoung in his book on the Ten Commandments says, God lays down his law for our good, not for our groaning. Again, th this law, these ten words, these are for our good, the good of his people. This is his good governing reality. It says something about God's heart for his people, to care for his people. 
So what governs your schedule? What kind of grid does your schedule run through when you're thinking about how you use and spend your time? Do you recognize God has say, and it's good? It's good to submit to. You know, think about this. The, the first man, Adam, his first day of existence was a day of rest. He had done no work. God had done it all. And Adam's first day of existence was a day entering into the rest of God. That's how gracious the Lord is. And the Sabbath command is a command to remember that's who he is and live in light of it being true. It was a weekly fresh perspective, a day to catch our breath and remember our God. And it would have really served Israel if they had kept it. But repeatedly, they didn't. Throughout their history, they did not keep the Sabbath. And, and throughout the Old Testament, God says his judgment is coming because they failed to keep the Sabbath. So someone came and kept it for them, Amen. kept it for us. That's point two. Christ came as the Sabbath's fulfillment. You know, when Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, there were at least 39 forbidden forms of work to do on the Sabbath day. And they were very arbitrary. You could kill a louse, the, the parasite, but you could not kill a flea. You could sew with one string, but you could not sew with two strings. If a wall fell on someone, you were allowed to remove enough of the rubble to assess just how badly injured the person was. And if it wasn't too bad, you had to wait till the end of the Sabbath to completely dig them out. It's crazy. The point is, the religious leaders of God's people had turned the Sabbath a day for rest, a day for enjoying good, worshiping the Lord, a day for all people to be blessed and receive. They had turned that into a day of scrutiny, a day of arbitrary rules, and in doing so, missed the whole point of what God was after. And it's in the midst of that, it's in the midst of that burdening, rule-keeping culture in Matthew 11 where Jesus invited this burdened, anxious people of God. Matthew 11, he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came as what the Sabbath had always pointed to. Jesus came and reestablished what the Sabbath was meant for, to find rest in the Lord, which is why he invites them to find rest in him. And it's right after this invitation in Matthew 11 that the Pharisees begin to challenge Jesus and his disciples with breaking the Sabbath because they were plucking heads of grain and eating them. And I'm just sure in that moment 
given that the disciples grew up around this uh, legalistic culture, this rigorous system of do's and don'ts on the Sabbath, these burdening demands, I'm sure that in that moment, they weren't sure how to respond. So they're eating the grain and they just look at Jesus, not sure how to think about this. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't entertain these extra biblical commands for a moment. He speaks with authority. He defends his disciples. And he condemns the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In the same account in Mark chapter 2, he says, Man was not made for the Sabbath. Meaning the Sabbath was not made to simply constrain man or to bind man. No, the Sabbath was made for man. A gift, a, a rhythm and blessing for man, a day to do good, to enjoy good, to enjoy blessing from God. In, in Matthew 12, when he's answering these Pharisees, he ends with this, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It was a staggering claim. God in the Old Testament called the Sabbath His Sabbath. This is my Sabbath. The Lord's Sabbath. In this moment, Jesus is claiming equality with the God of creation and redemption. The one who provides Sabbath rest for His people. That's why Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That's why Jesus delivered people on the Sabbath. He recovered the Sabbath for what it was meant to be, a day for doing good, a day for mercy, a day for feasting and rejoicing. He never broke the fourth commandment. He perfectly fulfilled it. He simply broke all the burdening requirements that the Pharisees had implemented. Not only was he Lord of the Sabbath, a staggering claim, but Colossians 2 says this about the Sabbath. It says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The point is, he, he's not only Lord of the Sabbath, he is what the Sabbath always pointed to. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. You know, the people of the Old Testament, though they, they entered the promised land, they did not obey God fully. They rejected His ways, and therefore they did not enter this rest that He held out for them if they obeyed Him and followed Him. They were not faithful. They failed to enter, Hebrews tells us, because of their unbelief. Jesus was never unfaithful. Jesus, in his work that he came to do in his mission, Jesus never disbelieved. He fulfilled what Israel was called to do. He never sinned. He trusted wholly in the Lord his God. He submitted his entire life and time to his Father. And then in God's mercy... As we've celebrated already, the righteous one, the only righteous one to ever live, Jesus Christ, he took the place of sinners before a holy God, absorbing God's righteous wrath for sin. That was his work that he came to do. He took our sin and he died for our sin. Then he rose from the dead justifying himself and his work. He gives us his righteousness through faith in him. When he ascended into heaven, 
and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, he completed his work just like God did in creation and he rested. He entered that final Sabbath rest and incredibly, amazingly, we through faith in him right now, trusting in the Lord Jesus right now, Hebrews 4 says, we who have believed enter that rest. It's a wonderful command to find rest in the Lord. You know, so many of us look for rest where it cannot be found. We look maybe to our jobs, our performance there, or our relationships. We can look to our possessions. We can even look to our own off time and leisure to be what provides us with rest. The truth is, we will only find rest in our Savior. So do you trust Him enough to rest in Him? Where, where do you need to cease from self-sufficient works and rest in your gracious God? In what area of your life you just tempted to strive and never cease, but just keep striving? We can all stop striving because Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. We rest because he worked. In fact, the only striving we're called to in Scripture is to strive to enter that rest. <laughs> it's a call to faith. It's a call to trust in the Lord. So, rest in your identity as a child of God. Rest in his eternal love for you. Rest in his powerful grace, in his constant presence, in his faithfulness, in his unfailing word. Rest in his patience and forgiveness. So grateful, like we celebrated in Bill's exhortation, we can draw near to the throne of grace and receive. That's what we rest in, no matter what's going on. So when you're overwhelmed by life's demands, when you're burdened, when you feel like you're failing in one area or multiple areas, Christ offers rest in him. He satisfied your greatest need. He's for your good. You can always trust him. In fact, that's the only way we can endure difficulty, right? When Adoniram Judson entered Burma in July of 1813, it was a very hostile and unreached place. He had been warned not to go there. It was very, very dangerous. No doubt, by today's standards, it'd be considered a closed country to the gospel. All the previous missionaries had either died or left. <laughs> but into Burma, he went. <laughs> He's 24 years old with his wife, Anne. And over the next 38 years, he gave his life to reaching the lost with the gospel. He suffered immensely. He suffered immensely. Lost two wives, two different wives he lost. He lost seven of his 13 children. He himself died in terrible sickness at sea. After his first 10 years, he had one church with 18 converts. But he endured. And today... Because of his work, there's over 4 million believers there. How did he endure? How did he persevere in the midst of such terrible suffering? He found rest in Jesus Christ. And it changed everything for him.
Lastly, the fourth commandment in today. So what about, what do we do with this command today? How do we think about applying it now? Ultimately, we apply, we obey the Sabbath command by finding rest in our Savior, the one who fulfilled the law for us, by being united to him by faith. And when we do, when that's our reality, the Lord doesn't require just one day from us each week, but all our days, all of our lives. We were bought with a price. He owns it all. We, we give all our days in joyful submission to our God. We don't, we don't keep the Sabbath in the same way as the Mosaic Covenant. Jesus fulfilled the legal requirements of the law for us, but, but, God has given us a really wonderful guiding principle for our lives. It's based in creation. And so we still enjoy a special day each week. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week on Sunday. And after his resurrection, it appears that the early church began gathering on that day to celebrate and commemorate his resurrection. Acts chapter 20 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, they, they began calling it the Lord's Day. Ignatius is an early church father. He said, Christians no longer observe the Sabbath, but direct their lives toward the Lord's Day, on which our life is refreshed by him and by his death. That's the privilege of what we have to do together every Sunday. We enjoyed it already today. Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Prioritizing the Sunday gathering. It's an expression of faith and trust in the Lord. You know, we, we are still called to rest and to worship. <laughs> and Sundays are such a gift, an opportunity to apply those things. It's not legalistic ritual. It's part of God's good design for us. It's his wisdom. The Lord's Day, this day, our gatherings each week are a blessing to be taken advantage of. Where, where, where Israel on their Sabbath looked back to God redeeming them, rescuing them out of Egypt, on the Lord's day, every Sunday when we gather, we look back to our redemption from slavery to sin. We, we look back, we are reminded that Jesus is alive, that his work was sufficient and completed and final, that he sits on his throne. What does that do for us? It gives us fresh perspective to live in light of this fallen world. We are reminded of who we are in Christ. We are reminded where we're heading. We will see his face one day. It encourages us. We're reminded of his faithfulness. We need this reminder, don't we? I mean, we need, we need it. But it takes work. It doesn't come easy. One, one commentator said, celebrating Sunday and true joy, it's, it's serious business. It takes work. It takes planning. It takes intentionality. It takes being thoughtful, planning ahead of time. Sometimes it can be difficult to get to the meeting. I'm sure I, I, I remember talking to a friend one morning after church one day, her husband had come early that morning to serve, and she had brought all of her kids, 
I think, four kids and was having a hard time getting ready that morning and feeding them and getting them dressed, getting them in the car, finally getting in here. On the, on the, while she was getting them ready, she realized she's going to be like 15, 20 minutes late to, to our meeting. And the temptation was to just stay home and watch the live stream. And, but she thought to herself, no, I'm going to go. <laughs> I need to go. It's good for us to go. And she came. And I just remember celebrating with her and saying, great idea. You know, too many of us see going to church as just a good thing to do if we're not too tired or not too busy. Not recognizing this is a good principle design the Lord's given us. How gracious is he to give us a day each week to tend to our souls and to find rest in him. It's an identity shaping rhythm. So how do you think about Sundays? What, what are you teaching your kids about Sundays? Is it just another part of the weekend or is there something special? Is there something set apart about this day from the rest of the week? Is your settled disposition, one, that acknowledges God owns all of your time and you gladly, you, you are glad to submit to his wise plan for you? Now, no doubt in, in how we pursue Sundays and how we use them for rest and for worship, how we apply it, the language is broad because the application is broad. No doubt we're going to do things differently. We're going to find worshipful rest in different ways. The point necess isn't necessarily what we do. It's that we rest worshipfully in Him each and every Sunday. It's an exercise of faith. Sometimes you have to work. On Sundays, I know some of you have jobs where you do. You have to work on Sundays. It's necessary for you. But as you are able, does the schedule of your life demonstrate your priority to be with the people of God? Not as a legalistic ritual, but as a recognition of God's good design for you. Kevin DeYoung says this, The Sabbath principle from creation to Exodus to the New Testament's Lord day, Lord's Day has always pointed in the direction of trust. That's what the Sabbath has at heart always been about. Can you trust God to give you manna for two days on the sixth day? Can you trust God to make up for lost work on one day by blessing you on the other six days? Can you trust that this burden you're carrying is not yours to carry alone? Can you trust God to carry it and carry you? if you have faith enough to stop striving and start worshiping. You can only stop from work and rest if you trust Christ enough to take care of you. And the good news of the gospel is that he has done everything necessary for you to find your rest in him. So may the Lord provide for us through every Lord's day the gift of faith, the gift of catching our breath, the gift of being reminded of who he is and all that he's done and to where he's taken us that final day, all so that we might so trust him, we gladly submit all of our lives to him. Let's pray that he allows us to do that. So we do pray for that, Father. We pray that you would, by your spirit, work in us such that it is our glad desire
to submit all of our lives to you, all of our time, all of our planning, all of our energy, all of our efforts, because you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of trusting. You are worthy of submitting to. You are worthy of believing. So I pray for the gift of faith, Lord. I pray that you would bless our Sunday gatherings. I pray that this time as we come together, you would bless it, that, that we would so enjoy the gift of being together and also being with you. Lord, come meet with us. Use it for your glory and cause us to hope in you afresh with fresh perspective in who you are, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Zach Farnell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.